Okay, if you have a Bible, you can t- open to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We'll look at that whole chapter this morning. Uh, just screaming right along through the book of Ecclesiastes now. Um, really, only a few weeks left, uh, just a couple chapters left in our study here. <clears throat> uh, the text is also printed in the bulletin if you uh, have one of those. And then, so, uh, the Bible says, uh, we're going to talk about folly a lot this morning. The Bible says that folly uh, permeates our world. Folly uh, comes as naturally to all of us as breathing. That really, uh, we're all prone to be fools apart from the grace of God. True wisdom, biblical wisdom, which is what Ecclesiastes really is about. It's uh, part of the wisdom literature of the scripture. Uh, True wisdom is hard for sinners to come by because it has to do with our relationship with God. And by definition, uh, we're not interested in that. We don't want a relationship with God. Uh, So it's hard for sinners to come by true wisdom. Even for Christian believers who... Uh, welcome a relationship with God in Christ. Not only are we surrounded by folly and have to deal with it all the time, uh, but we ourselves obviously uh, are tempted to folly. Folly is really our default mode, so to speak. Uh, It's automatic for us to live in foolish ways, according to Scripture. Folly is something that we constantly have to live with and contend with. So it's pretty helpful, I think, that Ecclesiastes spends a good amount of time talking about that here. So, um, So let me pray, then we'll read what he has to say about it. Father, your wisdom and your knowledge are unsearchable. Yet you have spoken to us so that we might grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge through faith in Jesus. So we pray that you would help us to forsake folly and to embrace your wisdom as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. Money answers everything. 
Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you've read the book of Proverbs, then this kind of writing uh, is probably familiar to you. Ecclesiastes has been writing more in prose, uh, paragraphs, flowing arguments, but now he gets into this sort of Proverbsy. Uh, Hebrew poetry style of writing, it's really easy for us to read this as sort of just shotgun blast, detached, disjointed thoughts brought together almost randomly without much planning, without much structure, as if Ecclesiastes, uh, you know, he had been going with the blog format and now it's just Twitter because he had a bunch of little extra tidbits that he, he wanted to include, but he didn't think they quite fit anywhere else in the scheme of the book. It's easy to read uh, this like that. It's just a smattering of... Um, Little tidbits of knowledge. Uh, I think the biblical writers under God's inspiration were more careful than that, more deliberate than that. If we don't see how these Proverbs fit together, um, uh, maybe we just need to pray harder <laughs> and work harder at it. Uh, there's a theme to this chapter. And in order to see it better, it helps us to remember the overall context of the book, what Ecclesiastes is doing uh, in this book. Uh, he's the, the preacher, Koheleth. Ecclesiastes is a translation of that Hebrew word, Koheleth, which basically means churchman, um, but he's the one who's preaching to the church, right? He's writing God's wisdom to God's people. In particular, he's writing about the ultimate futility, uh, the meaninglessness of life under the sun, right? That phrase shows up everywhere in this book. Uh, life lived as if this visible world was all there was. Uh, life lived apart from relationship with God, really. Such a life can produce nothing of lasting substance, can produce nothing of true pleasure, can produce nothing of ultimate fulfillment. You can only find true meaning and joy in life when life is lived in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom that's promoted here in this book and throughout the scriptures. And here's how um, uh, the scriptures frequently, especially the wisdom literature in the scriptures, uh, which is Job, Proverbs, Psalms, the Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Um, <clears throat> this is how it is put several times throughout the wisdom writings. So, for example, Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a, that's a phrase that's so common, <clears throat> you're, you're familiar with it. Uh, Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Job 28 Job says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. So this is the fundamental difference between wisdom and folly. To esteem God, to relate to God according to how he has revealed himself, to have knowledge of the Holy One, to think about him, to feel about him, to respond to him in ways that are appropriate to who he is and appropriate to what he's done, to fear God. That's the foundation, that's the heart, that's the essence of true wisdom, and anything else is folly. Fearing God is wisdom, anything else is folly. So um, the Psalms say it uh, a couple times in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Right. So not fearing God, not taking God seriously, ignoring God, living as if God were not real or present, or trustworthy, or good, living as if God had not revealed himself in the scriptures, as if he had not made himself known in his son, Jesus, living as if God didn't matter to you at all, that's the essence of folly. That's what folly is. 
The whole book of Ecclesiastes is dedicated to exposing the futility of that, the futility of such folly, the miserable dead end of a life lived under the sun without reference to God. Wisdom and folly are contrasted strongly by the wisdom writings of the Bible, especially here and in Proverbs, uh, because wisdom and folly are in conflict. They're, they're absolutely set against each other. They're mutually exclusive. They're antithetical to one another. So verse 2 of our passage, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. That doesn't mean that wise people are all conservatives and fools are all liberals, right? It's language that we use these days to describe that. <clears throat> uh, that's not what we're talking about. In many places in the Bible, the right you know, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. The right is the side of uh, the, the fa- it's the favored chosen side, the side of strength and power and rule, and authority and goodness and favor. Right. That's the right side in the Bible. The left side is the condemned side. Think of the sheep on the right, the goats on the left, as Jesus talks about it. <clears throat> but even more basically than that, that sort of symbolism that we find throughout the scriptures, the right and the left, they're just not the same. You know, that's something you learn early on in life. You learn to distinguish between right and left. They're not the same. They're opposite. They're different. The wise man's heart inclines him in one trajectory and the fool's heart in an absolutely contradictory trajectory. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral ground. There's no third option or alternative. Either you're actively pursuing wisdom or by default, you're a fool. Either you live consciously and faithfully in relationship with God and Christ, or you automatically slide into the unspiritual, unreflective life of folly. Wisdom and folly are not necessarily linked to your IQ, right? There's plenty of smart people who are fools, biblically speaking, and plenty of simple people who are wise, biblically speaking. Sometimes... Foolish people do things that appear to be wise. As it says in verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road. So he's, he's walking on the road, which is a sensible thing to do. This is, he's on the right path, right? Um, even when he's doing that, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he's a fool. Even when he's on the right track, he's clueless and everybody knows it. Right? It's like saying even a broken clock is right twice a day. Sure, foolish people can do things sometimes that appear to be wise. But it should still be obvious that they're fools because folly isn't just about the externals. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's about the inclinations of your heart. So it says in verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, right? He's advising against the folly of cursing the king. Even in your thoughts, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. So even, even if you will only give expression to your folly... In secret, and you think it's private, and that nobody will find out about it. Even if you give no expression to your folly, and it's just in your thoughts, it'll come back to you. Because it's a matter of the heart, and your thoughts, your interior life, right? Your spiritual life, your spiritual relationship to God. You need a new heart. You need a new mind. You need the gift of wisdom that is found in Christ. So Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's no treasures of wisdom and knowledge outside of Christ. Wisdom is about whether or not you know Christ. It's about whether or not you know the triune God as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. It's about whether or not you consider him as you live your life. That's what wisdom is. Like, do I consider him as I live my life? It's about whether or not you live in light of his love and his grace and his righteousness. 
Does it matter to you that God became a man? That's what's revealed in the scriptures. Does it matter to you that he blesses and makes good promises to his people? Does it matter to you that he laid down his life to forgive your sins? Does it matter to you that he rose from the dead to to guarantee your eternal life? Does it matter to you that he carried your humanity into the glorious presence of God and that he sent his spirit to be with you and in you forever? Does it matter to you that he will return and that he will make all things new and he'll make you to live with him in his new heavens and new earth? Does this knowledge of God matter to you? When you think about the biggest questions in life, in your search for significance, in your search for satisfaction, does this knowledge of God matter to you when you go about doing the little things in your daily life, uh, faithfully loving your family or going to school or going to work? Does it matter? Does this knowledge of God matter to you when you suffer? Does this knowledge of God matter to you when you make big decisions or when you make small decisions? Does this knowledge of God matter to you when you open your mouth to speak and when you teach your children? Does it matter to you when you spend your money or when you plan for the future? Does it matter to you when you eat and drink? Does this knowledge of God matter to you in how you live your life? If yes, then that's wisdom. And whenever that's not true, that's folly. So now with that in mind, we better understand, I think, everything that Ecclesiastes is saying here in chapter 10. He's, he's contrasting wisdom with the ever-present folly that surrounds God's people that we're swimming in or that we ourselves are tempted to default to. God's people have the opportunity of living wisely. Uniquely, we have that opportunity because of Christ. But it's going to be a constant active battle for us to do that. And Ecclesiastes is very realistic. Folly is always going to be a big problem for us in this world. It is going to affect our lives. It will be something that we have to contend with. It only takes a little folly to ruin things, even for the wise. As it says in verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Just a little dead fly, right? So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So for about a month uh, this spring, we had a dead rat under the floorboards at our house, and no amount of ventilation, no amount of fresh air or essential oils or Febreze or anything at all was going to cover it up. Even just a little bit of dead rat smell (laughs) will ruin all the air in your house. (laughs) Make the whole house a a stench. In the same way, even just a little folly contaminates things. Ignoring God, even just a little bit. Ignoring God, even, even for the briefest moment, can bring disastrous consequences in your life. Adam and Eve, perfect example, prime example, ignoring what they knew of God for just a few minutes in the garden meant the fall and ruin of mankind and meant the the subjection of the whole world to decay. You ignoring what you know of God, even for just a few minutes when you're around the kids, when you're at work, uh, when you're commuting in heavy traffic, when you're at the pub, when you're on your computer late at night, uh, when you're facing some social pressure, these are the moments when a little folly ruins lives and relationships. Just a little. Ignoring God or forgetting God or living as if God were not real. We have a lot of destructive power at our disposal. And all we have to do is relax and go into our default mode of living life as if we didn't know anything about God. Wisdom is good for you, whereas folly is self-destructive. Verses 12 and 13 
The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. So it's like someone in an, uh, an asylum, right, an insane asylum, uh, a fool who has lost his connection to God's reality. He's become untethered from what is good and what is true. Someone lives as if God were not real. I mean, God's the heart of reality. God's the one who's behind all reality, behind all of our lives. If you live as if he were not real, every part of that person's life begins to unravel in evil madness. We were made in God's image for selfless love. But the fool lives completely out of touch with that reality as God created it. The fool lives for himself, which paradoxically ends up being self-destructive. God's reality is ultimately and absolutely definitive for our lives. Who knew it would be so disastrous to reject it? Folly is delusional. It's self-deceiving. Verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The one who lives apart from God doesn't know where he's going in life, doesn't know where he's going after life, after death. But he sure talks with great confidence like he thinks he knows everything. The fool is convinced that he's wise. Ask anybody in this world. You say, wisdom is rare, isn't it? Yes, of course it is. If they're honest, they think they're wise and everybody else is fools. Right? The fool's convinced that he's wise. He thinks and he talks like he's wise. But he's deluded unless he listens to God about things like the true nature of life and death. Folly is exhausting in its futility. Verse 15 The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. If you you don't know your destination, but you just say, I don't care, let's just start sprinting, then what good is that? Folly is directionless. It's purposeless, because it does not receive direction and purpose from God. It doesn't hear direction and purpose for life from God. You can't just discover or make up your own purpose in life. It'll be a complete misguided waste of your life. When you live apart from God, it is no life. You can expend all your energies to try to create a life apart from God, but you're spinning your wheels, you're going nowhere. Living wisely with God can be difficult, uh, but living foolishly apart from God makes true life impossible. So verse 10 says, if the iron is blunt, this is a picture of an ax, right? If if, If the iron is blunt... And what does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. So I've got my dad's old hatchet in my garage. Uh, I would say that it used to have a very blunt edge, but I'm not sure it even qualifies as an edge. Um, It was really just so rounded off, kind of like a baton. (laughs) Uh, Very dull. It would never cut anything. It was so tedious sharpening that edge. It took a long time. It took forever. It felt like I was making no progress, you know work on it for five minutes and then test it and still nothing, work on it for 10 minutes and test it and still, you know, but it wasn't a waste of time. And if I didn't put in that work, then the hatchet would be useless for chopping wood, which was its purpose, right? Uh, If you don't consciously, deliberately, even methodically pursue wisdom by coming to know God, reading the scriptures, meditating on his being, on his nature, on his character, on his will, on his work, thinking and praying about how your relationship with God and Christ applies to this situation or that situation as you encounter it, if you don't do that work, which is hard work, then you'll never live wisely. You just won't. 
If you don't apply wisdom, you'll automatically live in folly. It is automatic for us. Verse 18 says, through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. If you're a homeowner, you know you don't have to throw stones at your roof to get it to leak. You just have to do nothing. It will leak. It doesn't take active effort on your part for your roof to fall apart. It just, it just takes neglect, sloth, indolence. It doesn't take active effort to be a fool. It takes active, deliberate, conscious effort not to be a fool, to contend with folly, to embrace God's wisdom and to employ it, to consider God and his ways throughout life. <clears throat> Verse 11, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Right? If you have access to wisdom, but you don't employ it, then folly will rule. It will take over, uh, which is dangerous. Right? So life in this world is dangerous. It's unavoidably dangerous, even if you were to apply biblical wisdom well and faithfully at all times. Verses 8 and 9, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Ecclesiastes is not saying, so just be careful when you dig a pit or when you're splitting logs, and the danger won't happen to you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying life is dangerous. Bad things happen in the normal course of life. In fact, I think he's saying when you do the good work of being wise, it is not free of pitfalls and snake bites. Being wise does not get you out of suffering. Sometimes being wise brings you more suffering. Brings more suffering into your life when you fear the Lord and trust the Lord and praise the Lord and proclaim his name. Sometimes when you live wisely in relationship with God, he calls you into uncomfortable places, difficult places. Especially with regard to other people who live in folly. So, verses 5 through 7. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler, folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. <clears throat> so this is a picture of the, the world just being upside down. Phil Riken says, when folly sits on the throne, when folly is in a place of power and influence in the world, <clears throat> then everything's topsy-turvy. Unfortunately, people, uh, foolish people often occupy places of prominence and power, and they can bring chaos to society and make life hectic. That's a reality that we have constantly to live with in this world. The folly of influential people has real consequences for others. Verse 16 and 17, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So the wise might have to live under the rule of the foolish. That's a reality we face in this world. The folly of influential people has real consequences for others. And sometimes those influential people, the rulers here, they might have it out for you in particular, or you as part of a particular group. And they might really have the power to do you harm if the anger, verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. <clears throat> so Ecclesiastes says, even though it would be automatic to run away from such people. People who have the power to do you harm and have something out for you for some reason. Even though it might seem smart, actually just to avoid such people altogether. Wisdom says, do not leave your place. Stay calm, address the situation, try to diffuse the tension, 
try to work things out. So again, Phil Riken says, that, uh, rather than running away from tyranny or taking the law into our own hands or claiming that we have a right to be angry or saying that we do not have to obey a foolish government, the preacher recommends a calm and quiet response that turns away wrath. Does that even sound like wisdom to you? It sounds like you're inviting suffering. It only sounds like wisdom if you know God to be a God who does not eschew suffering. That he, he's a God of reconciliation. He came into the world in the person of his son to lay great offenses to rest. The rulers of this world rose against him in anger, but he didn't run. He faced them calmly. He met their folly with his wisdom, and it became exceedingly uncomfortable for him. It meant humiliation, it meant torture, it meant suffering, it meant death for him. <clears throat> That's what it can look like when wisdom contends with folly. A little folly can do a lot of damage. And the wise can lose their lives. But the wisdom of Christ in his life with God meant that it was good for him to stay and face it and suffer. He knew God. That's at the heart of wisdom. He knew God. He had knowledge of the Holy One. He loved God. He knew what was best for people, best for sinners. And he loved us. And so he stayed in the conflict in order to lay great offenses to rest. And ultimately, his wisdom succeeded because God raised him from the dead. And through Jesus, God is bringing many sons and daughters into glory. So when fools rise against you, stay calm. Engage them with the very wisdom of Christ in his life with God. You can do this. When you live in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, when you consider the gospel as you contend with folly in this world, which you'll have to do frequently. Jesus can take people who live in constant fear of other people, who would rather run away from the conflict when, they're being, uh, when, when the ruler has something against us, or other people uh, through their folly are opposing us, would rather run away. Jesus can take away that fear of people. He can make us to fear God in a way that frees us from fearing other people. So when you consider his gracious love, when you consider his forgiveness, when you consider his acceptance of you, you can be free of your anxieties, you can be free of your fight-or-flight response, right? That mechanism, response to conflict. You can become more concerned for laying great offenses to rest, more concerned for reconciliation, more concerned for the good of others, even the fools in your life, right, who have power to harm you when you live wisely in the fear of the Lord. So contend with folly. Contend with it and employ true wisdom and embrace life with God through faith in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in your Son, Jesus, whom you've revealed to us so that we can search him out and who lives in us by your Spirit who's been given to us. So we pray that you would help each one of us, every one of us, to look to Jesus and see your wisdom on display, to see it and to be captivated by it, to embrace it, to believe that life with you is better than life apart from you and to live that way. We pray that you would help us to see the nature of your wisdom in Christ and help us to see the purpose of your wisdom in the life of Christ. We pray that you'd help us to see the trajectory and destiny of your wisdom in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. 
Help us to apply Christ's own wisdom in our own lives as we must contend with folly in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.